0: looking at. We're in a series on called Dunked, and this is a, uh, a series that has eight parts to it. It's about baptism. Last week we started this series, so there's no way we can cover everything in the same lesson. So if you missed one of those, just go back to it on the podcast online and listen to it there. Today we're going to talk about a little bit more about the meaning, but going to the idea of allegiance today and just kind of review for just a moment why we use the word dunk as well instead of the word baptism. We'll see that in just a moment. But when we look at this idea of baptism today, we have to really begin with the idea of making a decision whether we're going to follow after creeds, church tradition, or the Word of God. Because church creeds and church traditions have confused this subject so much that in today's world, where people proclaim Christ as Lord, you have different modes of baptism that are used, whether it's sprinkling or pouring or immersion. And all three, uh, depending on your background, you believe all three are just fine. And so what you have then is church tradition and teachings that have changed the original uh, mode of baptism from that of sprinkling and uh, that of, of has changed it from immersion to that of sprinkling or pouring, or it doesn't matter, whatever mode that you use. So I just want to point, first of all, to Scripture. There's a Scripture in Acts that talks about the Bereans, And there it says that the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether or not the things that they were learning from Paul were true. I just want to know if you have that kind of heart, that kind of openness that you are willing that no matter what the Scriptures say, where they lead you, that you will be willing to follow Scripture more than the traditions, perhaps, that you were taught, creeds that have been passed on from generation to generation for well over 1, 15 1,600 years. It's just a decision you have to make. Will you be willing to follow the word of God to where it leads you? And this whole series is based upon that. And I'm using the word dunked instead of the word baptism for the express purpose of keeping you, your attention as to what the real original word meant. The word baptism, English, goes all the way back to the Hebrew word, "mikveh." McVeigh, which was very original in Genesis, that meant the idea of the gathering of the seas. It was always about dunking people under, immersion. Never referred to sprinkling or dipping or just a pouring, but it was the idea of totally going under to the point of when it was used, it meant that in terms of that of being dunking under the water, that you bent your knees, and as you bend your knees, either go forward or backwards, that you come straightway out of the water. You plunge out of the water. You've been buried in that water that's the word originally used for McVeigh, which we'll come back to in just a moment again. In the Greek, the word's baptizo. The word baptizo was not a theological term. It's a term that was used oftentimes in terms of making pickles. So if you made a pickle, it said that you dipped it in the vinegar. And by the way, I just saw Ron Jones here. Ron. Man, praise God. <laughs> Woo. What a victory, man. Just so good to see you. I'm going to get emotional about this. (laughs) So great to see you back. Just so, what a great road of recovery. Uh, Where was I? Pickles. Ron reminded me of pickles, so. (laughs) No relation whatsoever, anyway. But you would dip the pickle, put it under, and then you would really baptize the pickle. It was used in 200 B.C., to put it under, to preserve it, to use it. That sense of, of being used, that sense of dunking, that was the word baptizo. That's a word that's used here in that sense as well. In the, in the New Testament, it's always in reference to the idea of going under, of plunging, of being dunked in the vinegar, if you will, being dunked in the water. And then the English, 1600s, when they created the Bible, the New Translation, to avoid controversy, because now 1600, some 1500 years after the New Testament church, you now have the controversy of infant baptism, sprinkling, pouring, immersion. So the king ordered that you're going to use a word, take the Greek word, and just kind of make a phonetic sound, a semantic spell, and just use the word baptism. That way it won't offend anybody. It's created a big mess in Christianity today. So if I'm saying anything today here today that in terms of where you are in your walk of faith, it's not meant to offend, so please don't take it away. I'm just going to go back and say that you should never be embarrassed about truth, And so wherever this leads you, be open to the Word of God and just listen to what the Word of God has to say. And that's why I'm using the word dunked. Think of a dunking booth. When a person's in a dunking booth, that's the idea of being dunked, to be plunged under. And that's what we're talking about today. Now, I want to go back to just for a moment, a little bit of history again. Let's go to the period 400 years for the time of Christ. The last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, and there, a lot of things happened between the last book of the Bible, the Old Testament, and the New Testament, right? 400 years, it's a long time. Two empires have come and gone as well. But you have just for a little period of time, around 168 BC, the uh, Syrian king, Antiochus Epiphanes II, came into uh, the temple of Jerusalem, and there he slaughtered a pig on the altar and offered it to clint, to, to, to desecrate the temple. It was so vulgar and so absolutely repulsive to the Jews that when this edict's carried out to continue to offer pigs on the altars, that finally a group arose, the Maccabeans and, and the others that were involved in that, to overthrow that and to cleanse the temple again. Out of that came these groups called the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. They're not found in the Old Testament, but it's inter-testament period. Pharisees meant to separate themselves from all the Hellenistic background and all the things that had corrupted their nation. Sadducees, a little bit more liberal on it. The Essenes will take the more radical approach, which we'll see in just a moment. But all three are there as a result of a response back to what had happened to their country. And so you see then this idea of baptism beginning to develop, McVeigh, McVeigh baptism. Let's look at the next phrase, or the next slide, for example. The Pharisees themselves, the high priest on the day of atonement would be dunked under the water. The regular priest in their service unto the Lord, when it was their turn, would be dunked under the water. Before the scribe would even write the name of God, any time before they wrote the name of God, they would dunk themselves under the water. And then in Herod's temple, when it was built, there were 40 plus baptismal pools that were added Immersion pools, dunking pools for the people, for the priests, and everything else by the period of time you get to the time of Jesus. Also, the Pharisees, in terms of dunking or immersion, felt like for the the regular Jews, since they were born a Jew, there was no need for them to be born again. And so if a person was going to be added as a Gentile convert, notice the next slide, they would dunk them as converts into Judaism. Men and women only, not children, not babies, but always men and women only. They had a minimum of 200 gallons that had to be used because the rabbi had figured out that it took 100 gallons to totally dunk a person under the water. So to be safe, they had 200-gallon pools. Had to be a minimum of that. They had witnesses. So if there's Bob, Sue, and Henry witnessing the baptism... Uh, that that dunking, they would say, I'm baptizing them in the name of Bob, Henry, and Sue. They're the witnesses to this dunking of this person that was being converted from uh, Gentile to Judaism. It was a washing. It was a symbolic understanding that the water in and of itself was not magical, but the water was used as a visible outward sign that there had been an internal change of that person of repentance If there was no repentance that accompanied the water, then it was of no value. So they had to turn from the Gentile ways, turn from the world, and turn now to God and turn to the Jewish ways. And this is the way that they baptized Pharisees, McBay baptism always dunking, never a controversy about that. Now look at something else, the terms they used. To express this, they would then say that this new convert had been born again, had been born from above, was a new creation, was now a little child, or had entered the mother's womb as a new womb. It's the phrases that they used. Now when you see that, you begin to understand the dilemma that Nicodemus found himself in in John 3, don't you? Nicodemus had come to Jesus by night, talked about Jesus being this wonderful teacher and knew that he was from God because of all the signs that he had seen. And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they enter the kingdom of heaven, unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And Nicodemus himself had said, how can a man enter the mother's womb for a second time? He's a Pharisee. To him, when you were born a Jew, you were always a Jew. There was no need to be born again. This was confusing to him because the terms that Jesus is using, he had always identified Nicodemus with that of a Gentile being converted to that of a Jew. So this is some of the background there. Now notice what else? The Essenes. This is very important. The Essenes were so disgusted with the Pharisees and the Sadducees that they abandoned Jerusalem for the wilderness. And they began to live out in the wilderness away from the corruption of the world. They thought Jerusalem was so corrupt, that the cities were so corrupt, that they went to live out in the wilderness. And there they lived for almost 200 years, 200 years plus. And you see that phrase in the life of John the Baptist, don't you? Or John the Dunker in this series, all right? Because John the Baptist, if you notice the next phrase, he went out, next scripture, he went out to live in the wilderness. He was not an Essene. But he wasn't living out there by himself. There are people living in communities throughout the wilderness, the Jordanian wilderness, who are, have been there for a long period of time. And so you hear the expression that John uses that the Essenes were using. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This generation's corrupt, is what they're saying. In Acts 2, when Peter gives the sermon on the day of Pentecost, he says, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were dunked in the name of Jesus Christ. So is that separation, if you will, to move out into the wilderness. The second thing the Essenes emphasized, notice, was that they were preparing the way of the Lord. They took the prophecies of Isaiah and also the prophecies of Daniel. They said, We're going out into the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord, the arrival of the Messiah coming in this world who's going to be our redeemer. One who will save us from our sins. And they go out and they talk about the book of Isaiah over and over again. And here again you come to John the Baptist and he uses the same phrase, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. The Essenes also looked at the scripture in Zechariah. And in Zechariah 13 verse one, and they saw where dunking was very important for cleansing and washing. On that day a fountain will be opened in the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from their sin and impurity. And they begin to dunk people under the water, men and women, making that choice to separate themselves, prepare the way for the Lord. Notice what else. They immerse for repentance in expectation of the Messiah's arrival. They're dunking people in water, saying that the Messiah is coming soon expect him to come soon. Notice some of these phrases here in Luke 3 verse 8 in terms of repentance. It says produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So repentance was involved, turning around. Uh, Acts 2:38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance is involved as well. Luke 3:15, uh, the people see John the Baptist doing this and they naturally come to the conclusion or they think they come to the conclusion If John is doing this, he might be the Christ. Remember that? So they're saying, are you the Christ? They're expecting him to be possibly the Jesus, the Christ. And John then says the following, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came dunking with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. I'm not the one, but I'm the forerunner, and I'm dunking people in the name of Jesus Christ for repentance and forgiveness of sins because Jesus is coming soon. Now, what else? The Essenes. This is very important. Only men and women who could make the individual choice were dunked in water for repentance. Child couldn't do this. An infant couldn't do this. Because they didn't have the ability, no matter how smart you were as a kid or a baby, or your children are smart, did not have the ability to make that individual choice or decision. So where does that leave us? Here's some things we can see for today's lesson in terms of allegiance. First of all, allegiance means I'm going to be dunked in water in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm going to be dunked in his name. Notice in Luke 3, he went into all the country around Jordan preaching a dunking of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Dunking in water without repentance and forgiveness is of no value. The key here is to repent, to receive forgiveness by being dunked in the water. See that? The emphasis is upon repentance for forgiveness, and you get that by being dunked in the water. What else? Notice the next verse, Acts 2.38. What's Peter tell them to do in the first century, the first time they're given the opportunity, if you will, to respond, he tells them to repent and be dunked, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ same pattern there as well, right? See that? Notice what else in Acts. Now here's important, uh, go back just a moment the one in Acts 238 because people all times will say, well, that was their culture. That was the Jewish culture. You know, we've times have changed. Cultures changed. So, it's all right if we change these things from being dunked to immersed, or, or from immersion to that of dipping, or that of sprinkling, or, not, or just saying the sinner's prayer, it's okay to do that because we're a different culture. The Jews dunked in the name of Jesus Christ. The Samaritans, notice the next verse, Acts 8. What do they do when they get to Samaria? They were dunked, both men and women, in the name of Jesus Christ. Different culture, right? What about in terms of the non Jews, the Gentiles, Acts chapter 10? Peter says, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so you order that they be dunked in the name of Jesus Christ. So, whether they were Jews, Samaritans, or whether they were Gentiles, what happens? Same pattern, same mode is used. Are you with me? I see some of y'all. Don't get mad. I'm just showing the scripture. I'm the messenger here. All right. This is the pattern. Are you open to hearing the word of God or are you just gonna follow the creeds? That's what it is. Now then, second point I wanna make is it's allegiance to Christ. What does it mean when I am dunked in the name of Jesus Christ, I make that commitment, that I am giving my full loyalty, my full allegiance to Jesus Christ, that I will follow him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, that I make the decision to repent and follow after him instead of the ways of the world. Allegiance. Here's what Jesus said. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Or not everyone who, uh, notice, not, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's more than belief, isn't it? A lot of people believe that will name uh, casually a Jesus Christ as Lord. But it's not enough just to name him as Lord, is it? But those who will do the will of my Father, you have to be willing to obey have to be willing to repent that's the sign there takes belief hearing the word you believe it but you have to put into practice again he says in luke not everyone who calls me lord lord why do you call me lord lord and not do what i say that applies to all of us right we're here worshiping god today what does he want us to do every day of our life to do what he tells us to do and to follow him and then you see the next scripture in terms of allegiance notice the next scripture He talks about in terms of cost. If you want to build a building, Jesus says, what do you do first? You count the cost, see how much it's going to cost, you build the building. If a person starts building a building without knowing what the cost is, they may run out of money. If they run out of money, they won't complete the building. If they don't complete the building, then they're going to be left at. What's he talking about there? Allegiance, commitment. You make the decision individually to enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're going to pay the cost. You know what the cost is to follow him. Notice the next next one he uses, illustration. The king goes to fight a war and he has 10,000 troops. And he's up against 20,000 troops. He has to make a decision, doesn't he? Will my 10,000 be able to overcome the 20,000? Or am I going to have to sue for peace? But he counts the cost, whether or not he can win that war. Now here's the point that Jesus makes. In notice, it is the same for each of you. You must leave everything you have to follow me. If not you cannot be my follower. See that? This is a decision by you that when you are dunked in the name of Jesus Christ forgiveness of your sins, you made the commitment that you're going to follow him in full allegiance. Isn't that wonderful? That allegiance, that you belong to him, that you've separated yourself from the world, and people know that you belong to Jesus Christ. Now here's the third thing. It's washing It's an internal cleansing. It's a purification. When Ananias talked to Paul about his conversion, here's what he said. Notice, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be dunked, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. This is Paul, all right? So what's he told to do? Call on the name of the Lord, right? Have your sins washed away, By being dunked in the water. Here's another one. Notice from uh, 1 Peter. This water symbolizes dunking that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body. It's not an outward cleansing. It's not the outward part that needs to be cleansed. But notice, it's the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you are dunked in the name of Jesus Christ, you realize that outwardly, It symbolizes an internal cleansing and change. Spiritually, you're unclean. Spiritually, you're full of sin. And that heart and that spiritual aspect of your life needs to be washed and cleansed. And it's done that by the symbolism of being dunked in the water in the name of Jesus Christ. One other point, we'll close. It's always an individual decision. You might have been born into a Christian family But that does not make you a Christian. Your parents, in a very loving way, may have took you when you were a little child to be sprinkled as an infant in a particular church. And they meant it in a very loving way, but that's not found anywhere in Scripture. In Scripture, dunking... Is the only mode, and it's always an individual decision that someone cannot make for you. They cannot make that decision for you. Let me give you some examples of this. For example, it says in Luke 3 produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. There is no way that a baby can repent, it's impossible. And I know you have smart babies. I have smart grandbabies too. There's no need for them to repent because they're innocent. But they do not have the ability or the capacity to make that individual choice themselves. They cannot make that decision for themselves. It requires an adult or someone to take them to make that decision for them. As loving and as kind and as compassionate and traditional as it may be, it's not in the scriptures. Are you with me? Do you want to follow scriptures or trees? Notice the next one. Salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Peter gives that in a sermon. Calling people to call upon the name of the Lord. A baby cannot call upon the name of the Lord A little child does not understand what it means to have salvation in Jesus Christ. As smart as they are, even as a little child, young child, they do not know. They can believe. They can understand things. They can imitate us as parrots, but they cannot make the individual choice of decision that salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. This is a mature decision of people understanding the difference. Are you with me? Notice another verse, all right? This, means the, this is from Jesus. What does he tell us to do? Make disciples of all nations, dunking them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Individual decision. The purpose is to do what? Make what? Disciple. A disciple is someone who knows and learns and follows the example of the teacher. So those that are dunked in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit, they are to be what? You teach them to obey everything. So this has to be an individual choice, an individual decision of a person who is able to be taught and a person who is able to obey and understands that they are being dunked in the name of Jesus Christ, the name of the Father and of the Son, and that they have now made the decision that they want to give their allegiance to Jesus and become a disciple. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that beautiful? That's the beauty of what it means, the dunking in the name of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. The washing away of our sins, The decision to align ourselves with him in complete loyalty and allegiance, to become a disciple who's willing to be taught and to obey and to be trained to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Well, our time's up. That's the idea.